Hello everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British royal history. Hello friends, welcome back, and it is finally October. It is spooky season, it is the time of ghost stories, scary stories, other paranormal stories, and movies, horror films, pumpkin spice lattes, and pumpkin patches, and needless to say, I'm excited this is one of my favorite times of year. When we think of October, at least here in America, we think of Halloween, we think of horror films, true crime, and other scary stories, and today here at the podcast, and for the month of October, we are leaning into the paranormal stories of British royal history, scary ghost stories, and maybe a few true crime stories as well, as this is spooky season, so tis the season. When we think of haunted stories and everything therein relating to the royal family, what do we think of? We think of ghosts and other poltergeists, sort of like that, and more often than not, we think of the royal residences. We think of the haunted royal residences and the ghosts that reside therein, and more often than not, if it's a castle or palace, an official residence owned by the crown, the British royal family, more often than not, there's probably a ghost there. It's probably haunted. This month, we're going to revisit some of our previous royal residences that we've covered and leaning into some fun ghost stories and trying to have a fun, spooky October here at the podcast. Additionally, if you stay tuned to the end of today's podcast, we are going to be talking and reviewing Diana the Musical on Netflix. I have a few things to say about it, but stay tuned till the end to hear that. When we think haunted royal residences, we think of some of the older ones. So St. James's Palace, Hampton Court Palace, the Tower of London, Windsor Castle. We think of these older residences, and today we are revisiting one. We are going to be welcoming back Hampton Court Palace as we discuss and share some real creepy ghost stories held therein. We've already covered the massive story and history of Hampton Court Palace in a previous episode, so if you want to hear just the more intricate details specifically relating to Hampton Court Palace, you can go back in our back catalog and hear everything related to Hampton Court Palace. But today, we're going to be talking about the ghost stories and sharing some creepy, scary ghost stories. Not necessarily scary, but just weird. Well, no, I think one's actually kind of creepy. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. When we think of Hampton Court Palace, who do we think of most? We think of King Henry VIII. And King Henry VIII, boy howdy, was he quite the uh, sovereign. We know him for his six wives. There's a musical about that called Six, where it's them telling their story. But we think of his six wives, uh, (laughs) the divorces he tried to get that was unsuccessful, creation of the Anglican Church, and so on and so forth. And Hampton Court Palace was a sort of pleasure palace where he could have a lot of fun. But within Hampton Court Palace, a lot of scary, not necessarily the best things happened. And a lot of the ghost stories related to Hampton Court Palace are actually on the Tudor side of the palace, not the Baroque side, the Tudor side. Hampton Court Palace has really leaned into this haunted history. They have ghost tours. They... Uh, replicate a lot of things. They really lean into the paranormal at Hampton Court Palace. And I believe Lucy Worsley, uh, who, by the way, I love her. Love her so much. I retweet her a lot on Twitter. Um, 
she has she's done a few documentaries about the ghosts and paranormal at Hampton Court Palace. So if you go visit there, especially now in October, they really lean into the lean into it. But all year round, they usually try to have the ghosts and ghost stories and tours and everything therein. Now, one fun thing about some of the older like picture postcards and photos that they had of quote unquote ghosts at Hampton Court Palace from the turn of the century. They were actually faked. They were double exposures of certain areas and they would, which was the early form of Photoshop. They would have a plate that they would double expose and that was their way to superimpose a quote unquote ghost into these photos that they caught on film. So most of them at Hampton Court Palace from the turn of the century were faked and they've come to acknowledge, yeah, these were fake, but hey, isn't this cool? Ha ha, fun. But most, most of the ghosts are associated with the Tudor side. So buckle up, get ready as we share some of these, some of these ghost stories. It is said that two of the more famous ghosts at Hampton Court Palace are actually the former wives of King Henry VIII, Jane Seymour and Catherine Howard. Now, Jane Seymour died in 1537 and was King Henry VIII's third wife, and Catherine Howard was uh, Henry's fifth wife, and she was executed in 1542. Jane Seymour is also known as the Specter of the Silver Stick Stairs. So her story is... Jane Seymour died shortly after giving birth and complications from uh, give, giving birth at Hampton Court Palace. And yes, she was able to give Henry VIII a son and heir. She died shortly thereafter. And so he was really stricken with guilt and she got this sort of magnificent burial and funeral because of it. But she had a very tragic death and her death was at Hampton Court Palace and she's been reported as being seen multiple times at Hampton Court Palace, specifically at the Silver Stick Stairs, which these stairs once led to the room in which uh, Jane Seymour gave birth and died in. So these stair this stairwell once led to the room where she gave birth to Prince Edward and then died in 1537. It's also said that she haunts a few other stairwells near that area of the palace, but she haunts this stairwell that goes up to where she died. And there's many, many accounts of people seeing her on their tours of Hampton Court Palace. Now, Catherine Howard is also known as, quote-unquote, the Screaming Queen, because her time wasn't the best and her ghost tends to be one that actually kind of terrifies people so put on your history hat Catherine Howard was a little different so Catherine Howard had a little bit more of a tumultuous and very notorious death uh, she was known for um, adultery and a possible treason plot and at the age of 19 she was beheaded at the Tower of London but as the story goes the day that it was announced that she was to be taken to the tower to be beheaded and uh, executed, as she was leaving Hampton Court Palace, she broke free from the guard. She put up a fight, and she broke and made a run, made a run down this gallery, this specific gallery, screaming, crying, begging for Henry to see her to forgive her, and. She made it to the end of this gallery thinking that, you know, the door she was pounding on was where Henry, the next room was where Henry was. And in this gallery, they got her, 
pinned her down. Well, pinned, I use in air quotes. They got her back and they escorted her out. But in that gallery, she ran screaming, crying, and put up a fight. And in reality, Henry was actually at the chapel in Hampton Court Palace. He wasn't anywhere near where that location was. He was at the chapel doing his own thing while Catherine Howard was escorted out and then subsequently beheaded. To this day, that gallery where she was is called the Haunted Gallery because there's been multiple reportings and sightings of the ghost of a woman running and screaming down the hallway, begging for her life. And it is said that that is the ghost of Catherine Howard, still pleading for Henry to save her life to this day. At Hampton Court Palace as well, there's been multiple sightings of the ghost of Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn has a sort of reputation of being a very well-traveled royal ghost. And it is said that there's been a few sightings where people have seen Anne Boleyn around the area of where Jane Seymour uh, is said to haunt the that specific stairwell. And there's been a few reports of the ghost of Anne Boleyn comforting the ghost of Jane Seymour as, you know, Jane Seymour died a very tragic and traumatizing death. Don't want to belittle that. But it is said that Anne Boleyn has seen has been seen comforting Jane Seymour. Our next ghost is known as the Grey Lady, and there's been numerous, numerous sightings of the Grey Lady at Hampton Court Palace, and she actually has a name. Uh, she is uh, Sybil Penn, so the Grey Lady's known as Sybil Penn, and Sybil Penn was a servant to four monarchs while they were at Hampton Court Palace, and she was also a wet nurse to King Edward VI, and she... Uh, nursed on Elizabeth, the, on she nursed Queen Elizabeth I while she was while she was recovering from smallpox, but sadly she herself caught smallpox, and while Queen Elizabeth recovered, Sybil did not, and Sybil ended up dying from complications due to smallpox shortly thereafter, which is around 1562. So she had not the best of deaths, but she had her a funeral, was honored, and so on and so forth. Well, in uh, 1829, renovations were taking place to Hampton Court Palace. And in the process, Sybil's grave and um, her tomb, more specifically, was disturbed. Whether it was intentional or accidental is beside the point. Her tomb got disturbed and that awoke the spirit of Sybil, and she then became known as the Grey Lady. And at that point, around 1829, people began to see this Grey Lady walking. They began to see this ghost around the palace, and they didn't necessarily so know who. Then found out, oh, we did this, and then this happened. They tracked it down. Okay, this is Sybil. They've tried to make amends and fix it, but at that point, damage has already been done. Her tomb was disturbed. Now, it is also said that the Grey Lady is linked to this legend of a spinning wheel at Hampton Court Palace. So in Grace and Favor apartments years ago, decades ago, people kept saying, we're hearing this spinning wheel. What the hell? We keep hearing about the spinning wheel. We keep hearing a spinning wheel. Sounds like someone's working on a spinning wheel. We can't pin it down where. So one day, the people in the Grace and Favor apartments had had enough and they began tracking down this spinning wheel. They tracked it to this one area. They tracked it to this one specific area, and they kept looking around in the rooms, 
and there was no spinning wheel, but we keep hearing, we keep hearing this. Well, finally, somebody had the wherewithal to actually start knocking and sort of poking holes in walls. And in between the walls in the this Grayson Favor apartments was a spinning wheel. And once the wall was removed, the spinning wheel was discovered and taken care of. And once it was taken care of, all noise of the spinning wheel had stopped. So the gray lady is still haunting and is still seen at Hampton Court Palace still to this day. Another one is also another ghost story, actually kind of uh, moderately tra- uh, tra- traumatizing story. It was still in the 1870s when they were doing renovations. So in 18, the 1870s, specifically 1871, they were doing renovations to Hampton Court Palace. And in doing so, skeletons of two young men were found in a shallow grave under a cloister in the fountain court just doing they were doing routine maintenance doing routine renovations and up they dug they found a shallow grave with two male skeletons when they were found this there was again a resident in a grace and favor apartment she came out and said oh my goodness thank you know thank god you found because she in her specific apartment she kept hearing knocking banging and she lived near where these two skeletons were found and she kept telling people you know this is knocking you know this is really upsetting this is you know bothering me but no one believed her but the moment those two skeletons were found all the knocking and disturbances stopped and haven't been reported on since and it is suggested that these two anonymous victims were these two anonymous men were victims of the roundhead villainry during this the english civil war so from 1642 to 1651 and they may have been just hastily buried not thinking you know oh you know not thinking of it at the time and then when the monarchy was reinstated and the baroque side of the palace was being built they were then buried over construction happened over them and they remained hidden and didn't have a proper burial so they were haunting saying hey you know we're still here they were found and then those uh hauntings since ceased there's been another instance who knows if this was Catherine howard who knows but there was a few years ago there was a ghost sighting in the queen's gallery at hampton court palace there were staff members getting ready for an event and again the only people that were supposed to be there were already there it was closed you know everybody was supposed to be there was accounted for they were getting ready for this event in the evening they took a break and they heard the sound of a door opening and they sort of turned looked at each other just dismissed it well then they heard uh footsteps sound of someone running and then they heard screaming and they returned to the queen's gallery and no one was there and that they sort of looked around and went you know are we all having a collective hallucination and they continued on and it really bothered them another one that's fairly recent is uh in 1986, a fire broke out in the Grace and Favor apartments that were above the cartoon gallery. And it was a intensive enough fire that the roof and the floor collapsed. And so everything came crashing down into this gallery. Almost all of the occupants in that area were able to escape and get out except for one. And that is Lady Daphne Gale. She unfortunately did not survive. 
And in this section of the palace, it was absolutely devastated by fire. And it took a few years to get everything cleaned, dry, and renovated accordingly and restored. Towards the end, there was an electrician who was going in, fixing wiring and making sure everything was fine. And he kept noticing in, you know, in his periphery, up in the balconies and stuff, this older woman that wasn't bothering him. But he just kept, you know, felt like he was being watched, kept seeing this older woman out of the corner of his eye and didn't think too much of it. Well, at the dedication ceremony and reopening of this area, they had the photo of Lady Gale out to you know remember and honor her and have a memorial for her and he immediately was like that's the woman that was watching me and so it (laughs) could it have been the ghost of lady gale watching over the people renovating to be sure that this didn't happen again probably but he made note that uh he was watched by what looked like to be her Now, in May of 2000, this is an interesting thing to note, and then we're going to get into the last ghost story at Hampton Court Palace that has me freaked out, earnestly freaked out. But in May 2000, uh, psychologist Richard Wiseman conducted an experiment at Hampton Court Palace to investigate, you know, are these ghosts real or are they just in people's minds? So he gathered up a group of people that knew either very little about Hampton Court Palace or knew nothing at all. And he didn't, no one knew ghost stories, no one knew any of the history, but he, the group was in two parts. There was a group of believers in ghosts and the paranormal and a group of non-believers in the paranormal. And they then went on tours and had their time and they reported back. Now, as you would expect, people that believe in paranormal and the ghosts had significantly more interactions and sensations and feelings and whatnot, but also there was a small group of non-believers that had their own experiences as well. So the data set here in the investigation in some ways was kind of inconclusive. Nothing's exactly clear, but because some things happen to non-believers, it does suggest, okay, there may be something that holds water here, but we can't necessarily say for certain. Is it people that believe in the paranormal projecting? Well, this group was completely separate from the paranormal, and they still felt things. But this last ghost story that has, again, has me freaked out happened in 2003, and I distinctly remember this happening and there's video footage of this. So in October of 2003, CCTV cameras were activated at Hampton Court Palace. It was in the middle of the night and or evening, but the big point is the palace was closed and the only people that were supposed to be there were accounted for and they knew where they were. The palace was closed. Nobody that's not supposed to be there wasn't there. So if anybody were to get in, security would be tripped, alarms would be going off, and so on and so forth. Well, in this time frame in October, there were reports and sort of, okay, things are going off of doors opening, this specific set of doors opening. And, you know, they didn't really catch any, didn't think too much of it, you know, okay, this is weird, but, you know, everybody's accounted for, no one's broke in, you know, in order to get there, we would have had to already see someone, but okay. But then this happened. (laughs) So it's, these doors, the last time it happened in 2000, October of 2003, these doors fly open and there is this hooded figure in what looks to be kind of middle-aged, kind of renaissance garb, this really thick 
hooded cloak with long sleeves to the floor so you can see some embroidery and it's the face of a skeleton either it's a human in a skeleton mask it is a skeleton ghost it's who knows but the doors fly open this being clear as day is in this door standing there with the doors open and then struggles to get the doors closed and then they close and that's what cctv caught the scariest again what freaks me out about it is again no other cameras were tripped no one broke in security was all you know we can't explain this and we can't we don't know who this is this person's never been seen this has never happened again and this footage exists i if the, if you want to see it i can post it on twitter just let me know but that one it blew up internationally and this was before social media i remember seeing this in the news here in america of is this a ghost it probably is a ghost and yeah it looks like a skeleton face and you know you can't really see the hands the ghost is nicknamed skeletor and is it a hue is it a ghost in a skeleton mask is it a real skeleton we don't know but that is the like most recent documented ghost story aside from other sightings of the gray lady the screaming queen uh jane seymour on the stairs there's a lot of regular ghosts that are happening but this was so irregular that it it blew people away it still makes me uncomfortable because it can't it can't be explained no other security cameras were tripped no other alarms went off just these doors flew open you see this being it's like five seconds of footage and they struggle to get the doors closed and then they close but that dear listeners are the ghosts of Hampton Court Palace, all usually associated with uh, around the time of King Henry VIII and his wives and servants dying. Are there possibly more ghosts there? Probably. But these are the most famous that you can still, if you go on ghost tours or any other tours of the palace, you can still learn about to this day. But this last one, the security ghost, Skeletor, has me a little freaked out because it's, it's something that even skeptics can't explain. You know, no, nothing was else tripped. Well, who who is this? We've now come to where we're going to we're going to abruptly switch gears. I don't have a great segue here, but Diana the musical. So I had said last time we met that it was a thing that I had mixed feelings about it, and I've come back to report that those mixed feelings are still here. So Diana the musical was officially released on Netflix a few days ago at the time of recording, and. A little background about it, right before lockdown and COVID closed Broadway here in America, uh, this musical was already in creation. I remember hearing, you know, blurbs on Playbill.com and through my musical theater friends that this was happening, but we didn't have any more information about it. And right before lockdown happened, the show was going to previews. And luckily for them, before everything closed, it got a pro shot. Whether there's people in the audience, I can't necessarily tell how big the audience is, but it got it got a pro shot. And then lockdown happened and it closed. And now that Broadway's opening up again, it's now returning to Broadway and actually getting a proper opening in time on Broadway. So as an aside, support Broadway, support your local uh, Broadway actors and musicians. There's a lot that goes into these shows. As a classically trained musician myself and a professional musician who does do musicals as a little time on a soapbox, just support Broadway, support your local Broadway show. It's very important. There's a lot that goes into these shows. So looking at Diana objectively, 
we're gonna break a few things down. We're gonna break down the performances, some of the behind the scenes tech stuff, and then my real issue with the show. Performances by the cast and the ensemble. So there's only four named roles in the show. There's, of course, Diana, Princess of Wales, Prince Charles, Camilla Parker Bowles, and Her Majesty the Queen. Those are the only actual named roles. Now, there is a James Hewitt number where James Hewitt is named, and there's paparazzi and ensemble characters, you know, play various roles. But the four actual, like, core cast are those four. Now, performances, very good. Singing, fantastic. Likenesses, mm, some of them were close, some of them were, were other. They sort of took a, you know, now a modern approach where they're not necessarily looking for, okay, does this person look 100% like this character? We'll put him in costume, put on the Diana wig, you'll learn mannerisms, learn her accent, and bada bing, bada boom, you know, I can tell that you're supposed to be Diana. I can tell you're supposed to be Charles. Yeah, you don't necessarily 100% look like them, but again, I can tell who you are. And for storytelling purposes, I know who you are. Ensemble did fantastic. Kudos to the costume, hair, jewelry, sets. Those were fantastic. The costumes looked great. The costume designer, you know, you're replicating history here. So whoever was in charge of costumes, they did a fantastic job of replicating And again, if it's something that's a little bit, you know, okay, we're going to take a little bit of liberty here, it's still in the vein of, I can believe this person wore this. I can believe this person wore that. Uh, Sets, fantastic. They look really, really, really good. Even the costumes of the of the of the ensemble look fantastic. But now we're here's my main issue. So the performers did a fantastic job performing. The costumers, the hair, and the jewelry did a fantastic job replicating history. Kudos to you, bada bing, bada boom, chef's kiss. My big problem with this show is the writing itself and the direction of it. So the director is Christopher Ashley. The books and lyrics uh, was done by Joe Deep. DiPetro, I believe that's pronouncing it right. Um, if, I'm, if I'm mispronouncing it, I'm sorry. And the music and lyrics was done by David Bryan. And all three of these men have huge history on Broadway. Lots of shows under their belt, not a critical accolades. Do not want to belittle that work. You clearly earned your spot and claim and claim to fame. My big problem with this show. So recently in a podcast, I heard someone sort of talking about this uh, huge media around Diana again and somebody in the co-host said when are we just gonna let her rest you know we have the crown we have this new Kristen Stewart film we had the other film by by, with Naomi Watts we've had the queen now we have a musical you know and it's all centered you know in some, some way shape or form around her especially now with the crown when are we just gonna let her rest and that kind of sort of stuck with me uh even as a fan of the show of the show the the, the crown I still understand that. When are we just going to let her rest and rest in peace with all the countless books and other documentaries that still come out, (laughs) this episode included? But my big problem is they're trying to take so much history and so much intricacies with history and the tumultuous history around it, and they're trying to jam-pack it into two hours and 30 minutes. And in turn, well, roughly around that time, the left time frame of a Broadway musical. This is still in a lot of working memory. I remember a, a very small, minute bits and pieces of this, but this is history that I actively remember. There's multiple generations above me that still actively remember this. And there's a lot of history to unpack here. 
But the big thing with a Broadway musical is you have to, especially no, just anything stage, if it's an opera, if it's a play, monologue, whatever it is, you have to keep the pace moving. So even with a television show like The Crown, you have to sort of pick and choose moments and pick and choose vignettes, what you're going to spend time into and what you have to keep moving on. And this just doesn't really lend itself very well to the stage. It's Hamilton works because you're making entertain you're making history entertaining you're making history fun about the founding of america and it's specifically done where people of color tell the story to sort of turn history on its head and try to sort of go you know we need to talk about this get that see that validate that anastasia takes a part of history where you know the grand duchess the princess anastasia died Regardless of conspiracy theories, I'll touch base in another video. I think she died that night. But it's taking a part of history and turning it into a fairy tale, going, okay, what if? What if this happened? You know, we're t- and it's about love and family and finding family and finding love and identity and what does identity mean? And there's a lot there that is, but it's, that's relatable, but we unpack it and something fictitious with it it's not trying to be real history you then have plays like the diary of anne frank that's a very real and it goes there that's the big thing with that play is it goes there and it's very sensitive at times i remember my high school did the diary of anne frank and it was whoo the end it, it it doesn't hold back and this show just it it didn't really go too in depth in some of the characters and character arcs and character stories. And, you know, the lyrics were really weird. You know, James Hewitt's whole musical number, Diana actually saying, I shouldn't have married a Scorpio. Some things just didn't feel like real characters. The choreography, while fantastic, you know, I, these are people I actively are aware of. And it's just, it was a little weird at times, but some things aren't meant for storytelling some parts of history aren't meant for this type of storytelling and i defend that with the with the opera brokeback mountain brokeback mountain we all know the film but it got turned into an opera and i watched that opera and it made it was uncomfortable it just the story didn't lend itself very well to that of musical treatment of that of an opera the story of Diana, Princess of Wales, and Prince Charles, their falling in love, the affair, and the eventual fallout, so much history gets covered in such a quick time frame, you can't really spend too much time on it. And for me, it felt like, you know, what's, what is this show trying to do? Who's, who's, yes, it's about Diana and her story, but so much of an arc happens, and it's, it's just, I, 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 again, I just, I didn't particularly like it. It was weird. The music was kind of weird. The, the actual lyrics and direction was just, it was just weird to put it in one, and just, I left going, one, I don't want to watch this again. I don't want to watch it again. Wasn't bad. The performances were great. The, the people that did their performing did great with what they were given but that still stands i don't this doesn't feel like it should be a musical as intense history as this is as traumatic history as it is as triggering as it is for to to some people especially if you have eating disorders and have been in situations similar it's just there are more productive ways to tell this story either through documentaries reading it about books or the dramatic treatment that is with the crown where they're not afraid to go there much like the diary the the play the diary of anne frank it's not afraid to go there it looks like the movie spencer that's coming out in november it looks like it's not afraid to go there this feels a little afraid to go there and also i don't know it actually knows how it wants to go there but those are my two cents about diana the musical i probably won't watch it again 
I probably will, you know, still support the actors, you know, hope they still get work. You know, everybody in there in, because I know as intense of a show this is, there's a lot that needs to go on. Costumes look great, hair, makeup, uh, jewelry, a lot of beautiful things were replicated as best as they could. But my point still stands. This is just something that doesn't necessarily need to be a musical. And, you know, the director, writer, book, all that they, you know, they've done some good shows. You know, not everything's going to be a hit. If this gets award recognition, cool, fine, great. Good for you. Love that storyline for you. But for me personally, I, no, no. Just made me feel weird. Didn't feel appropriate. And those are my two cents on Diana the Musical. Let me know on Twitter if you feel the same. If you feel different, let me know. Um, I would really enjoy if you would like to, to continue this conversation. But those are my thoughts on Diana. I said I would touch base on them, and I did. And I followed through with all with all of you. But we've come to the end of the episode today, sharing ghost stories of Hampton Court Palace and a short five-minute review of Diana the Musical, now available on Netflix. We now have a Facebook page for those interested. You can go on Facebook and hit, uh, we'll search for the British Royal Fanatic Podcast, and there is official page with the same logo that's on Twitter and on Spotify. You can join the Facebook uh, family there, and again, just trying to interact with all of you as best you can. The Facebook page is still relatively new, but head over and join it, as well as on Twitter, where I'm slowly trying to expand. Eventually, these pod- I'm thinking about making these video podcasts and uploading it to uh, YouTube. So let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. Either sound off in the email, on Twitter, or on Facebook. Just let me know. My sources for today's podcast are Historic Royal Palaces, royalcentral.co.uk, whatculture.com, and onthetutorrail.com. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by the podcast today. If you would like to recommend topics for future episodes or let me know how I'm doing, you can drop me a line over at the official email, which is britishroyalfanpod at gmail.com. Any and all suggestions are welcome, and I would really appreciate it. If you want to stay up to date on the podcast and events and other things going on, there is an official Twitter and now an official Facebook. You can search for British uh, the British Royal Fanatic Podcast on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at fanatic underscore royal. I do my best to post regularly and interact with all of you as best I can. If you feel so inclined and generous, you can donate to the podcast as this is a one-man show. You can either head over to PayPal, which is linked on the official Twitter to make a one-time donation, or over on the Anchor homepage for more regular monthly donations. Any and all contributions are welcomed, and you will get shout-outs and be able to get some exclusive content as a way to show thank you. Head on over to Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts or more to rate, review, subscribe, and share. The more you do so, the bigger the family can get and the more that we can reach people, we can show up on lists, and the podcast can improve and get better. Maybe get a few sponsorships. You never know. Have a great rest of your week, everyone. Stay safe and stay healthy, and I'll see you in the next one.